just off the toe of Italy's boot, simmering Mount Etna dominates the Sicilian landscape. As Italy's largest and most active volcano, it is in view throughout much of the second season of The White Lotus, a visual metaphor for the tinderbox escalating in the nearby village of Taormina. This is K.K. Robbins, and you are listening to Episode 3 of Travel Talk. The most straightforward route to reach the majestic Taormina on Sicily's southeastern coast is to fly directly into Catania and drive one hour north, winding your way along the coastline with the water on your right and Mount Etna looming on your left. I have also arrived by sea, but the most interesting route was arrival by train, coming down from Rome through Naples, then continuing for hours, stopping frequently in tiny beach resort enclaves until finally reaching Villa San Giovanni, a small town on the mainland. It sits at the entrance of the Strait of Messina, the narrow body of water that divides Italy and Sicily. It is at Villa San Giovanni that the train will cross the water to the island of Sicily. The journey is only eight kilometers or just under five miles and takes about 30 minutes. Seems easy enough, except there is no bridge, therefore no permanent tracks. Instead, the train crosses on a specially designed ferry with train tracks built right on board. The train cars are disassembled into small groups, then shunted into the inner belly of the giant ship that is the length of an American football field. I was mesmerized by the mechanics of the whole operation. Once all loaded, an announcement was made that you must leave the train cars, and I promptly complied. I did notice, however, that most locals took this less as a command and more as a request, choosing to ignore it altogether. Crossing the Strait of Messina on this mammoth vessel, it's unnoticeable that these waters can be treacherous. It is here that the legend of Homer's Odyssey lives on. According to Greek mythology, to guard the Strait of Messina, there would be two ravenous monsters, Scylla and Charybdis, always ready to swallow boats and ships by provoking dangerous conditions. In reality, the competing currents of the Tyrrhenian and Ionian seas which meet here and collide have been the nemesis of sailors for centuries. Even the winds blow violently and in conflict with one another. The currents can reach speeds of 50 miles or 90 kilometers per hour, creating a powerful vortex. So the next time you hear the idiom of being between Scylla and Charybdis, i.e. the lesser of two evils, you'll know where that was born. Sailing into the almost 3,000-year-old harbor of Messina, it's impossible to miss the Golden Madonna, a giant statue that guards the people of the city. This message was said to be from the Virgin Mary that was sent to the people of Messina in the year 42. It is known that Apostle Paul came to Messina around this time to convert the Sicilians to Christianity. Reluctant at first, many were persuaded— some insisting on accompanying him on a trip to Palestine. Here, they met with the Holy Mother and persuaded her to send a letter to the citizens of Messina. In the letter, tied with a lock of her hair, the Holy Mother said that she appreciated their devotion and would grant them perpetual protection. The letter ended with the blessing that is now inscribed on the statue. We bless you and your city. Once we reached shore in Messina, the train cars were pulled from the ferry, reassembled, and we continued into the main station. 
From here, it is 40 minutes by fast train to the base of Taormina. There are two levels of Taormina, the one down at the water with multiple rocky beach inlets and the picturesque village that lies high above the sea. From the station, the road winds its way up, stopping at the edge of the village. Arriving at the White Lotus Resort, we are actually at San Domenico Palace, a Four Seasons property which sits perched along the edge on the southern end. Originally a 14th century Dominican convent, it was first converted into a hotel in 1896. By the 1920s, a grand wing was added, luring celebrities and aristocrats from around the world. Scandalous stories go beyond the imagination of screenwriters, as plenty of true stories unfolded behind these walls. Such as, it is said that D.H. Lawrence's Lady Chatterley's lover was inspired by the affair the author's own wife, Frida, had while they were staying at the property. Only it wasn't a gamekeeper, as in the novel, but a local donkey driver. It must be said, though, that this was not an anomaly. With a voracious sexual appetite, her affairs were many and often. So the author had plenty of material from which to source. The San Domenico Palace, which had a complete refresh during the pandemic, was love at first sight for the White Lotus crew. They had already toured over 20 properties throughout Italy and France, and although completely unintentional, both seasons wound up taking place at a Four Seasons resort. As seen on the series, the modernized suites, some with private plunge pools, all have balconies which face the sea. Walking to breakfast through arched cloisters and extensive gardens dating back to the monks, it is impossible to escape the lingering scent of lemon grapefruit, and mandarin among the citrus-filled grounds. The property stretches out wide, along the cliff face with terraces and an infinity pool, taking full advantage of the captivating views. It is effortless to become immersed here. One could stay on property for days, only, have we met? Exiting the front courtyard, we are steps away from the main thoroughfare, Corso Umberto, which runs the length of the village with arched entries guarding each end. As we approach the cobblestone street with the seaside to our back, the southern entrance of Porta Catania is to the left. We turn right towards the northern entrance of Porta Messina. The names, so simple and clever, I can barely stand it. When exiting the city gate of Porta Messina, you are facing north towards Messina. When exiting Porta Catania, you are facing south towards Catania. Bravissimo! From gate to gate, it is only a 10-minute walk, although it can easily take over twice that when crowded and all day when shopping. Boutiques filled with local goods, leather bags, and ceramics overflow into the street. We reach the center piazza, distinctive with checkerboard marble tiles, and look out from the viewpoint. To the right, the true scale of our hotel is realized, with Mount Etna just beyond. The panorama of the sea stretches out unobstructed in front of us, seemingly without end. Continuing along, we veer off the main path, turning on to Via Namakia, named so after the 120-meter decorative Roman wall that was rediscovered nearby in the 1940s. With so much beauty all around the village, this can easily be ignored. But it really is impressive, with 18 large niches recessed into the walls that originally held fountains and statues. And speaking of statues, remember the colorful severed heads throughout the hotel in White Lotus known as Teste de Moro? Well, they really are folkloric Italian tradition. 
dating back to the 11th century. It was in the town of Palermo a foreigner declared his love for a local woman. She returned his love, then discovered that he had a family waiting for him back home. Furiously jealous, she decapitated him and turned his head into a flower pot that she kept on her balcony so that he would stay with her forever. Many in the town copied the idea, only they would forego murder and simply use clay for the head-shaped pots. Continuing downhill along Via Nomachia, we leave the crowds behind and reach our main destination, the city gardens. Free to enter, we begin at the high end of the garden, which rests on a plateau between the village above and the sea below. Tree-lined walkways lead you through the shaded park. With multiple grand pavilions, all dating back to the 1890s, the entire grounds are reminiscent of a private estate, which is no coincidence as it was built by Lady Florence Trevelyan, an Englishwoman who was a gardener by trade herself. Lady Florence Trevelyan is sometimes linked to Queen Victoria as a cousin, when in fact she most likely was not even a lady, in the royal sense of the word at least. She did spend time at the Queen's estate in Balmoral and was close to Prince Edward, who would later become king. Perhaps too close, as it is speculated that she came to Taormina in the late 1880s after being exiled by the Queen, possibly for that relationship. Once here, she quickly got to work buying up lands and building upon them as well as promptly falling in love with a local vet after taking in way too many stray animals. Here in her glorious garden, the most impressive pavilion is a multi-story structure known as the Beehive, a nickname given by Lady Florence herself. She would spend hours here, and I can only hope that while she did, she quietly reveled in her splendid accomplishment. Exiting the lower end of the park, we walk along a narrow and annoyingly busy road towards the steps down to the sea. Just before reaching the steps is a belvedere, a scenic viewpoint. From the stone terrace, we step out and get a closer look at the beach coves of Mazzaro below. Jutting out from shore, you can see Isola Bella, a tiny island that can normally be visited by walking or sometimes wading, depending on the tide, out along a sandy path from the beach. As tempting as she is to visit, Isola Bella is far more impressive from above than once you get up close. Now owned by the government and currently closed for restoration, it was once a private island owned by none other than Our Lady Florence. She somehow built a house and established another garden on the rocky landscape. And that was in 1890. When looking down from above, the house sits precariously, perched on top and resembling something out of James and the Giant Peach. Taking the path known as the Taormina Steps, we work our way down the almost 800 steps to the sea. At least two dozen photos later, we've reached the bottom. During the summer months, this area is packed with beach clubs. Today, we're simply going to take the time to have a pink Prosecco, Italy's lighter version of a French Brut Rosé. Once ready to return to town, it's easy to grab a taxi or even a bus, but why would we do that when there is a cable car that will whisk us straight up to the North Gate? Just a short walk 
to the left with a beach on our right, we reach the station. Cars run every day, leave every 15 minutes, and in the summer have extended hours that go well past midnight. As the sun goes down, just imagine riding up from the sea to the village with the whole mountain lit up around you. The only thing more magical is the price. At about three euros, it's practically free. While we have spent our day focusing on the view below, there is an even higher view. Near the center piazza is a trail known as Salita Castello, literally meaning castle climb. It takes you to the Taormina Castle, above Taormina. There is also a lovely church which is open to visit. The castle is not. You go for a hike with a view. Who's ready for a gelato? We definitely have earned one. Now, if there was just a shop nearby. Oh, wait, there's 20. As we stroll with our gelato, we go back towards the north gate and turn along one of the oldest streets, which dead ends into the Teatro Antico de Taramina. Hands down, the most dramatic ancient Greco-Roman theater. This teatro alone, with its blend of Greek and Roman influences, is worth coming to Taramina. Built over 2,000 years ago, it still holds performances today. Through the ruined walls, you can look across the entire village, directly back to where we started at San Domenico Palace. The setting is so unreal. It feels as if you are on a movie set or visiting the scene through virtual reality goggles. By day, you walk under the covered entrance, past the stage, and up the tiered rows as a self-guided tour. Then the transformation begins. The sun begins to set. The day trippers disappear. The stars fill the sky above. Lights illuminate the remnants and history is reflected across the stage. Shakespeare and Sophocles would gladly be at home here. Present day, it would be Andrea Bocelli, who it just so happens will indeed be performing in this theater. He'll be singing Time to Say Goodbye to me right here this summer on September 1st. Okay, maybe not specifically to me, but given the intimacy of this theater, it will certainly feel as if he is. So meet me in the cheap seats where we'll drink red wine made rich by volcanic soil. Sure, we will be high up, but guess who will have a bird's eye view across the entire theater and out to the sea? Join me this Thursday as we head to our next Sicilian seaside, the town of Cefalu. Ciao, Bella. Bye, beautiful. <laughs>